Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, everyone, and welcome into Attacking Third, a CBS Sports soccer podcast. I'm Sandra Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. Joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Lisa Roman, analyst for CBS Sports. On today's episode, we're chatting all things news and notes. Before we get into everything, a quick reminder to subscribe to us on YouTube. We're also a podcast, so follow, like, and download so that you never miss out on an episode. Lisa, we're back at it. I missed you, bud. I know. I missed you, too. You and Clara crushed it on the recap. Um, it's so good to be back. So good to be here chatting with you, with everyone joining us live on YouTube. Hey, everyone. Um, really excited to kind of get into all the details we have today. We have a lot of fun news and notes, honestly, to get into today. Some fun stuff to talk about. Um, but it's so good to be back. No Challenge Cup this week, so strictly news and notes today. And then we'll hit up uh, with a weekend preview later this week. You like it. I love it. Let's get into it. We got to talk about a trade. Let's kick off the news and notes portion with some news across NWSL. We're getting the announcement of some trades. A trade has taken place between Racing Louisville and Washington Spirit. Racing Louisville acquired Jordan Baggett from the Spirits in exchange for a 2024 second round pick and a conditional 2025 third round pick so a trade with some conditions if they're met washington spirits uh, will get an extra pick but jordan baggett uh, third overall pick in the 2019 draft mm-hmm. and uh going to a team where let's just say maybe she's going to get some some more minutes uh this is a player that hasn't unfortunately hasn't you know been unfamiliar uh with some injury uh, during her yeah. time in the nwsl but a uh, highly rated uh, prospect at the time when she was drafted in 2019. And I got to say, uh, during 2019 in, in the limited rookie minutes, during Challenge Cup as well, I thought pretty impressive. And I think it was one of these pieces at the time, along with like in Andy Sullivan or when they did have Rose Lavelle, like some of these pieces where they're like, this is uh, the future of this Spirit franchise. We're going to have these players and build around them. Unfortunately, like I said, sometimes things like right. injury kind of uh, disrupt some plans. Uh, I don't know if folks remember, but there was a very, very uh, scary collision that Baggett suffered in the um, 2022 Challenge Cup final, kept her out um, through throughout large chunks of the 2022 season. Um, but on Racing Louisville side, um, what could it mean for them? Yeah, we're going to see her get some extended minutes with this team. I hope so, because this is a player that um, she's hasn't gotten that much time this year already with Washington. Right. We, you just talked about Challenge Cup and Washington's opening match in Challenge Cup against Gotham. She played about a, she played about a half, 45 minutes in that game. Yeah. Um, but this is a, a player that 
has the experience, but yes, unfortunately has suffered a bit of injury. But a team like Washington, or excuse me, a team like Racing Louisville needs a lot of depth heading into a World Cup summer where they do have so many international players on their roster. And adding Baggett to that midfield will add a lot of depth to to what they provide there and, and what she can do. But it's working in those minutes and getting them up to speed. It's been reported from Racing Louisville that Jordan Baggett is set to report to Louisville, Kentucky, um, at some point this week ahead of the Racing Louisville second home game this weekend coming up in the regular season. They play OL Reign at home. So I, I don't think we'll see her in that game. Um, it just you usually want a, a few training sessions under your belt before you throw a player into the mix. But um, massive for a player like this. I think, she, honestly, I think she'll get more opportunity at Louisville than she would have at Washington. Just the way things were not really shaking out for her at Washington. She just wasn't getting a lot of consistent minutes. There are a lot of depth players in the midfield there. And then uh, Mark Parsons got a lot of rookies in this year that have already seen a lot of time in the midfield. So I think this is a good move for Baggett and for, for Louisville to try to add her into the mix there. No, I'm with you. Again, I'm just I'm just curious as to sort of like where uh, Kim Bjorkergren, the head coach of Racing Louisville, kind of sees a player like this uh, in his starting lineups, um, or if this is uh, a bench player uh, for him moving forward. I'm, I just am like wondering and curious about it in the sense where we're we're starting to see uh, the return of extended minutes for uh, Jalen Howells, who had mm-hmm. kind of missed some of those first couple weeks uh, with racing in the in the regular season obviously savannah DeMello again another one of those um kind of younger players that they picked up in the draft and want to try to build with moving forward um has pretty much become i think uh, one of the regular usual suspects in a starting lineup for bjorkigern when um when healthy essentially so uh, i am i'm i, I I'm, I'm with you in that we're, we're probably not going to see um you know her play maybe as soon as this weekend, maybe the following weekend uh, for racing. But again, I I am kind of like, where, where does it all fit in? And who do we all see, you know, especially like with, with how, um, what we might see week to week from, from Bjorken. Are we going to see more like just sort of a a, a two person kind of pivot in the, in the midfield? Are we going to see like, you know, uh, four in a box? Like, what are we going to see from Bjorken Green and where does somebody like a, a bag of fit in? But, I think at the very least, I'm in agreement with you that it's good for depth, good for for pickup in, in a World Cup year uh, when a light with players might be absent, especially for Racing Louisville, because we've talked right. a lot about of all the international players that we've got on their team or on their team and who are who might go missing um, in long stretches of the season. But probably first of potentially many. I don't know if we're going to get a ton of trade announcement, but there is a trade window that will close uh, on Thursday, tomorrow. If you're listening to us uh, today, April the 26th, it will close tomorrow on April the 27th. Mm-hmm. And that just means that the paperwork has to be in. It just doesn't has to mean be done. It has, it has to be in. completed. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's going to be announced. So uh, cheers to the spirit and cheers to uh, racing for getting this across the line and, and being able to, to announce it. And we'll of course uh, keep our eyes and ears tuned into anything else that drops along the way outside of any transaction news though. We've got to maybe fashion update, a little bit of jewelry to talk about. Let's talk about Portland thorns officially getting their championship rings. If you're joining us 
live on YouTube, highly recommend because you get access to images about the things that we're talking about. And we've got a lovely shot of Portland Thorns Championship ring. Love the details in this one. The crest with like just sort of pops with the red coloring there. Obviously the name on top of the ring. And of course you got the diamonds. You got to love the shine on this one. Uh, throw, throw a diamond in the chat. If you yes. like the look of the ring, let us know how you feel about Portland Thorns in the ring. Got the details on the side as well. Love that. Cause this is a team we're talking about. They've got multiple titles at this point. So I love yep. on the other side of the ring. It's got those details. Yeah. It has the three trophies on the side of the ring and also the scoreline from the final. It says two nil um, right on there, which is pretty cool. I mean, they did a great job. I think they tweeted it out there from Portland Thorns. So this is a three carat ring. Um, massive. There's also some pictures on their Twitter of the players receiving their rings. They had a nice little ring ceremony for it. I mean, these are massive. Uh, love to see it. Love to see the team get celebrated for all that it's worth and all the celebrations. Um, yeah, definitely drop those ring emojis in the chat right now because <laughs> this is this is awesome. This is really cool. I have I got a um, you know subtle bride here. diamonds. Yeah, I have a couple rings, but I don't think any of mine are as nice as this one. <laughs> this one's pretty good. I have a couple of college rings. We won okay. Big East Championship a bit. Okay. I worked in baseball for a year, and our team won the championship then. So I got a pretty nice. That was like a big ring. Um, you know, engaged. So that's another ring there. That's a pretty but. important ring. I was like, no championship rings. I think no. I have three championship rings. Yeah. I, love, I love the flex. I love the fiance flex. That was good. <laughs> I liked how you worked that in. Shout out to my boy, Jimmy. He's doing all right. I think he did all right with the ring. He's got doing you. all right. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, look, let's, let's close out the NWSL news portion of this episode. Unfortunately, we are going to talk about an injury uh it is official an update on mallory weber of kc currents it was a torn acl that she sustained mm. in the previous match for the current while playing at home and there's just no other way to frame it other than this absolutely sucks i yeah. just hated watching the injury happen in real time and now that you have the official diagnosis like you're able to to react to it and it just it absolutely sucks for this for in general for this player um however um someone who actually just returned to play and now unfortunately will be out uh for the foreseeable future with uh an acl injury yeah, incredibly sad to to hear and see that coming out uh, from Weber. She put it on her social medias that, unfortunately, her injury last time she uh, – in, in last week's game, it just ends up being an ACL. And this is a player that just came back from injury, playing with Kansas City, and now, unfortunately, has to suffer this again. It's um, it's so heartbreaking. It is so heartbreaking Um sending speedy recovery and, and well wishes to Weber and all that she has to go through now. I know Kansas City not too happy about it either because now they they lose depth that they have. They lose this player. Um, and although that she's still on the team, she'll still be around. It's just a different energy now in, in the locker room and, of course, at trainings, no longer playing on the pitch and in games and everything. Um, and Kansas City with this, a team that's also been dealing with so many injuries, it was good to have 
Weber, not only with what she brings on the pitch, but in the depth and everything like that to come for it. Um, so there's a, a lot of different moving parts and moving pieces with it. Pretty uh, devastating to hear from Weber completely. Yeah, hopefully, um, you know, she's able to get on a quick track to recovery and all parts of that that include um, the medical side of it if it requires an extensive surgery and also the mental side of it as well. Hope that she continues to have uh, great support and great uh, resources around her. And of course, we send her best wishes in her uh, recovery. But uh, one thing I do want to touch on before uh, we do uh, pivot out of NWSL news, send a bit of congratulations to Bella Bixby, who has 20 clean sheets in 40 regular season matches. That is the fastest to 20 clean sheets uh, in NWSL history. So congratulations in order for Portland. Massive. Look, they're number one on the top of the standings right now. And those we're, we're nearing about a quarter of the season in its completion, right? Maybe after that fifth game, we take a look at the first five weeks of the season as a whole. And maybe there are things to talk about um, and maybe nitpick and, and sort of look for adjustments across all 12 teams. But maybe we pluck out Portland Thorns out of that equation because they seem to be in ridiculous form right now. And it doesn't matter if it's at the top of the line with somebody uh, in, in Sophia Smith, the reigning NWSL MVP, or at the complete last part of the pitch in mm -hmm. that with their goalkeeper and Bella Bixby. It's just like from line to line to line to line, position to position to position where they are just looking fierce. Uh, I yeah. feel like we're just talking about Sophia Smith and her like fastest trajectory to X amount of goals. And now we're talking about Bella Bixby. Yeah, it was fastest and youngest for Sophia Smith to 25 goals and now fastest to 20 career shutouts. Bella Bixby in just 40 matches. Um, what a career that Bigsby has had. Honestly, she got drafted to Portland in 2018, but never actually played that year. She suffered a wrist injury. I believe it was her wrist that happened. She went on loan to Germany um, and then she came back and actually started to get minutes uh, and games with Portland in 2019. And then kind of just took off from there, became the namesay and goal for Portland, um, led them to the championship last year. And I mean, 40 matches, that's that's incredible to get 20 career shutouts and a championship thrown in there. Really impressive stuff with Bigsby, like you said, from tip to toe at Portland, uh, from their front line to between the sticks and Bigsby. They've just got a lot of talent and a lot of players with the same mindset that they want to win and they want to do it consistently with shutouts and scoring a lot of goals. And it's kind of the team culture that they have there that it's pretty fitting that they're breaking record week after week. Yeah, absolutely. We love records here at A3, mm -hmm. and I'm sure the NWSL loves those records as well. Uh, we'll also keep an eye on the race for second place. I hate to frame it that way, but Sinclair, Christine Sinclair and Lynn Williams yeah. each nodding their 60th all-time NWSL goal, both neck and neck for second place behind Sam Kerr with 77 goals. Anything is possible. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. That's a hefty number to chase, though, but... Uh, 
kind of cool to see that they're still kind of uh, chasing, like I said, second place. So we'll see what happens out of week five action for these two players coming up. That's a wrap for NWSL news portion, but we have more to chat about on the international level. So stick with us after a quick break. All right, we're back and we're chatting all things international soccer. Now let's uh, talk about a recent announcement from U.S. soccer. Uh, Matt Crocker was officially named U.S. sporting director, had a press conference with the media in the announcements, and uh, now part of U.S. soccer uh family, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, mm-hmm. Previously, Southampton director of football operations and head of development teams for the English FA. So congratulations to Matt Crocker and his arrival to yeah. U.S. soccer. Yeah. We'll see what he's got in the works. For I mean, that's, that's a lot of that is a lot of soccer in the United States to oversee. Yes. I mean, this is massive. I think um, maybe a bit of a different pick than what people were originally guessing. This is someone that comes a little bit from outside of the U.S. soccer tree, immediate coaching tree, right? It's all very connected. But when you look at someone like a Matt Crotter, Crocker, uh, he spent a lot of time in the English FA. Um, so now coming over to U.S. soccer, that brings that different perspective as as to what he can do. And I think um, the biggest question mark for him right now is who gonna who's going to be the U.S. men's national team coach. That's yeah. the biggest position he has to fill right now. He's talked about that in the media availability that he's already had. That he's he's looking at names. He's talking about different people. Um, he's having those conversations uh, because they've got to fill that role pretty pretty immediately. I think that's probably top of yeah. his to do list. But there was. Uh, Cindy Parlo Cohn was also in on uh, the press conference and and being involved there. So it's a hire that really affects everyone within yeah. U.S. soccer. It's such a tr- trickle down effect. Um, looking at U.S. soccer sporting director and everything that Crocker will oversee is essentially everything in yeah. U.S. soccer, which is massive to think about. Um, but yeah, I think replacing Greg Berhalter, getting the first U.S. men's national team coach under his his tenure there as sporting director is going to be the biggest thing for Crocker right now. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of soccer to oversee in this specific role. I think folks, if you're joining us and watching or listening to that attacking third, you're, you're here for, for women's soccer. So maybe you're wondering like how and where does a, you know, someone in this role kind of fit in with women's soccer. The truth is, it's it's a bit of a fresh start, I think, for for Crocker in in this role. I mean, yes, he spent time with Southampton, spent time in the English mm-hmm. FA. Um, I would imagine that he had a pretty close eye on a program like the Lionesses, uh, England yep. women's national team, and, and the epic run through the Euros that they had, but not too sure about. Uh, the other areas in which he, you know, might have to really get caught up to speed. Um, and I think that's where maybe he might lean on some others to, to sort of get him up to speed into that. I mean, you know, mentioning some of the things that we saw come out of, you know, the the press conference with that, obviously replacing uh, Burhalter will be high on the list, but, you know, Crocker kind of, keeping it real and admitting that he's got a lot of learning to do about a lot of different areas of the landscape of the American uh, of American soccer here. And he specifically referenced the Latino community at one point and as as a, as a 
the number of things on a list that he has to really get caught up on. So I think there's the, the general ideas that there's going to be a period of, of, of grace, perhaps as someone gets, you know, transitions into the role. Um, but eventually sooner rather yeah. than later, I think folks are going to say like, keep their, you know, finger on the pulse and say, okay, what about this? And what about that? And what's, right. what's next? So right. it's, it's something we'll keep an eye on. And honestly, the U S soccer, um, they did a little bio on him, which is, is very well done if you want a little bit more info on him because just reading his previous titles doesn't really tell you exactly what he did. But like um, with Southampton FC, their women's team, that started as a part-time program that he fully converted to a professional team that um, won, like was rising to the top of the FA National League to the Women's Championship in just two years. He did a lot with youth English soccer and developing those programs basically from the ground up. So he had has worked with a lot of different programs, very tight budgets, um, while also keeping teams successful in in their current states. And honestly, some t- with this type of role as the head of such a large organization, it's not so much what he does, but more so who he hires to delegate all those tasks to. Um, and from the look at his resume, it looks like he's done a very good job of that. And he's done that in the past. Hey, we'll see. He's about 48 hours on the job. Um, We'll we'll see what happens here. But I want to take everyone abreast of that. He's, he's coming in in a big year for the yeah. women's national team program. A little bit of uh, World Cup energy coming in uh, on his plate this year. So so we'll see. But speaking of World Cup, we absolutely need to touch on this. The bid for the 2027 World Cup officially has multiple countries in the running. But we are going to focus on the United States and Mexico and their joint bid announcement for the 2027 Women's World Cup. Lisa, I really want to go to you for first reactions on this. I just felt like you were away. I didn't get to connect with you on this. I want to hear your first reactions to when you saw something like this. I am so excited about this. This is massive. The fact that USA and Mexico um, are, are coming together to say, hey, we want to host in 2027 is huge. Of course, I want it to be here in America um, and in Mexico. And I think that the partnership between these two nations um, on every single level has continued to grow, which makes this bid perhaps a bit stronger than some of the others. Now, of course, it is a joint bid, um, and this comes after the Australia and New Zealand bid that is happening later this summer for the 2023 Women's World Cup. But you have to look ahead and and understand that once there's a, a joint hosting in two nations that it can happen again. And in 2026, the men's world cup is happening across Canada, the United States and Mexico. So the infrastructure is already going to be in place in the United States and Mexico. It makes a lot of logical sense for them to keep it in North America and have it be hosted by us and Mexico again. I mean, I think this is massive. This is massive. Um, I am so excited about this. I know you've got a lot of positive thoughts on it as well. Um, I'm really, really excited about it. The fact that Mexican Football Federation and U.S. Soccer could come together and announce this. Um, there are a lot of bids out there already. And and yeah. the FIFA deadline to officially launch a bid is the middle of May. I believe it's May 19th. So they got this in with plenty of time. There's been a lot of chitter chatter around it, but it is just USA and Mexico. No Canada being called yeah. into this one, but Canada's okay with that. They just hosted in 2015 for the Women's World Cup. They were like, we know about this. We understand what's happening and, and we're okay to stay out of it this time around. 
I don't know. I don't know if they're okay with it. They found themselves yeah. uh, making a statement of, about it. Uh, I think they alluded to the fact that they weren't actually even invited to. They weren't invited, but they just had it. So they were like, we understand why. So listen, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad you brought it up, though, because I, I think I'm finding myself in the camp that feels like their inclusion would actually hurt a bid to return the Women's World Cup to North America. Look, the United States has hosted specifically, singularly just the United States has hosted twice two women's World Cup tournaments. Obviously, everyone remembers the epic 1999 run, but then the United States hosted in 2003 in a bit of an emergency pivot. Uh, there was the yep. SARS virus that was uh, affecting China at the time and the uh, surrounding areas globally. And FIFA was like, we need who's the next play, like country that can go ahead and in a pinch kind of host this. And it was the United States that had the infrastructure ready to go and in place to, to host. Now, they were not the winners in that 2003 World Cup, but they were the host. So it has already been in the United States twice prior. But we're talking 20 years ago now at this yeah, point, the last on. time the last time a women's World Cup was was hosted. So I, I like the joint bid i'm a huge i'm a huge fan of it uh when i saw that it was united states and mexico i didn't blink i know there were some <laughs> folks out there who were like blinking and like wait a minute where's canada but i wasn't one of those people i'm not even gonna get on here and lie uh when i saw that it was just mexico and the u.s i was like yeah that makes sense yeah <laughs> like just run with that that's good they canada just hosted uh you know in 2015 we're talking just two cycles ago and now we're looking ahead at just the next cycle, which is not that far away. I know. Let's be real. 2027 is not as far away as people think. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm good with the joint bid. I think to have included Canada in that would have been something that hurt the bid. But uh, I like the ambition from Europe. We're looking at Belgium, Netherlands, and Germany, uh, not only putting a joint bid, but a, a joint bid for across three countries yeah. and if they were to fully submit a bid because right now it's like expression of interest and that's where the united states and mexico are and that is where this uh trifecta of your Euro uh european countries is at as well they've expressed interest if they want to have a full official bid that deadline is going to come in may but uh along with those joint bids there's also been interest from brazil and South Africa. Mm -hmm. And I just want to take the time to express some excitement around those countries as well. There's That's never right. been a Women's World Cup hosted in Africa or South America. And I think when it comes to, you know, having some infrastructure in place to host kind of uh, big sporting events, Brazil is no stranger to that. So I'm curious to see uh, the interest and the bids that they're able to get around that. I remember the bid for the 2023 World Cup with Australia. Then it ex expanded to New Zealand. Colombia had gotten into the mix. Yep. They had gotten a good amount of votes, actually, but unfortunately just narrowly missed out against Australia and New Zealand. So uh, I think this World Cup is a little a little bit of a guinea pig, actually. This is going to be the yeah, first time we've talked about that. It's the first time there's going to be a Women's World Cup split across two countries. 
the level of success and how that shakes out, I think will make a stronger case for countries who are making a bid in 2027, whether that's the trio of European countries or the duo of the United States and Mexico. So I'm with you though. Hopefully it'll be uh, it'll be a North American tournament in 2027. And uh, maybe next time we get a chance to, to talk about the next update, it will be an official bid in place with some cool stuff built around it so we'll see stay tuned and stick with us because we got some more news and notes to talk about all right let's keep things on the international scale here we'll talk a little bit about some european football let's start with the the tough stuff to talk about before we get into the good stuff that we want to talk about we have to talk about more injuries unfortunately let's chat about leah williamson who announced that she suffered a ruptured ACL and will miss the World Cup because of this devastating injury and the remainder of Arsenal season. Massive blow to the player individually, but I would anticipate to England uh, as well. This is one of their captains, someone who is a leader uh, for Arsenal and Lionesses. And um, the injury bug is, is... it's big one right now. I feel like there's a lot of programs, whether they're at the national team level or club level, that are really kind of getting bit um, right now. And uh, I think in the timing in which it happened, it was it was during a, a Women's Super League game against uh, Manchester United. And I think it happened very, very early in the game, probably in the opening 15 minutes. And you kind of hope like when a player walks off with a little bit of help on the road that maybe – it's not as bad as it could seem. Yeah. I think everyone there, was holding their breath. Watching. Yeah, but it, there was a collective like pause where it's like, what does this mean? And I think maybe there, that was a similar reaction with when Weber went down. Yeah. Right? Someone who was able to walk off and like, oh, like maybe it won't be as bad. And then you get the the actual diagnosis and you're like, geez, like here's another so one. So devastating. Yeah, for Williamson, it's, I mean, so so many layers of it, right? The defender going down, or she's only like 26 years old and having to kind of watch her go down in agony and in pain and then walk off. And then a couple of days later, hearing the results that it is confirmed, it is ACL. Um, this is uh, the Euro 2022 player of the tournament was Leo Williamson, captain for England, huge part of the Arsenal team that's making a run in, in Champions League at this point. And so many devastating things that have happened. And, and when you look at it on the global scale, there has been so many ACL injuries. And then even on a, on a more local level, you look just at Arsenal and all of the players that have suffered ACLs there with Beth Mead, Vivian Miedema, and now Leah Williamson. That's three of their star players. And yet Arsenal is still going on and, and continuing to play and continuing to win. Um, it is just devastating, devastating to hear all of this news and everything that's happening. Um, there's been also a lot of uh, people in our chat right now saying like, hey, like they have to study this. They have to do that. There, there have been so many studies out about ACLs and there's actually been a lot of reports that have come out most recently, um, the last week or so about why it's happening, why it's happening to more women than it is men, um, prevention of it, all these different things. But there still needs to be so much more research to be done about how to prevent this, what needs to happen. And and there has already been a lot of research. Yeah. But the fact when you look at the numbers for this year and how many influential women's footballers have suffered ACL injuries, it is heartbreaking, Sandra. It is heartbreaking. 
Uh, it's it's tough. I think when I when any of us like see something like this um, in a player's career, so close to some of the biggest matches of their life, because uh, yes, of course, I think a lot of people think about the World Cup that's just a couple of months away at this point. Um, but you know, this is this is a player with Arsenal, a club that has, like I said, been bit by that injury bug. You mentioned. Miedema, you mentioned, you know, Beth Mead, now Williamson. I mean, they just lost Kim Little. It's not necessarily ACL related, but it's just like, it's like the, the li- not only does the list get longer, but it gets longer with like more, more prolific players who mean so much to, to the club. Um, and it's just ahead. Of, so it's like not just the World Cup at this point, but it's literally just, it was just days before their first leg of the Women's Champions League. Mm-hmm. And and in this, in, in this announcement, in this update that Williamson provided, she references those two things yeah. in her life specifically and how, you know, she's devastated to, to miss out on those things, but is going to, you know, try to focus on, on the good things in front of her and, and, and her recovery. But, but I'm with you. I mean, there, there, there have been studies, you know, I think you and I were chatting when we were content planning, like it's the number is well over 50 at this point yeah. for um, professional for, for women who are playing at high levels, let's just say even I'm including like collegiately at this point. Yeah. So playing at, at various high levels of the game who are suffering ACLs at this like ridiculous rate, just stemming into last year, the number's well over 50. And it just sort of feels in light of that, there has been a lot of research. I feel like you and I have read some things and, and we've been pitched some things and, and I just sort of feel like it's okay. Research is great. Now, where where do we like move this into yeah. some some action? Where There's like pet into- prevention programs yes. that you can do. Um, I mean, even I think when I was as young as like 11 or 12 years old, like playing U12 soccer, we started doing like pet prevention ACL. Uh, like training as part of our warmups. Um, that was like part of the program, but like how, how accurate are those? Like, are we developing them year after year because the medicine is changing and, um, the training and the strength and conditioning is changing for these athletes every single year, no matter what club they're going to. So like, how is it, it, can there be like, um, a better understanding of why it's happening, um, why it's happening now, like whether it's cleats, right? Have they, have they yeah. changed the makeup of the boots that these players are wearing, the turf, the the uh, anything, right? Like there are yeah. so many different factors that go into it and why it's happening. And I think one of the most devastating parts of it is that how long the recovery is, right? We're talking six to nine to 12 months of a recovery for a player to get back to full strength and also how it changes the makeup of your body because your body's not the same anymore. Um, You're now overcompensating and and the recovery process is so long and is your knee potentially weaker than it was before? There's so many factors that go into it, which is what makes it so devastating. Yeah. You know, I think uh, when you see players go through this long journey and you sort of eventually get to the point where they're in their return to play protocols. I think your, your ears perk up, you know, your eyes get a little bit brighter and uh, maybe I'm alluding a little bit to the fact that we're going to potentially see the return of, of a very prolific player from an ACL injury in Alexia Puteas. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about uh, women's champions league, because in case you didn't know, you can watch all of the remaining knockout rounds and the UWCL final 
on CBS Sports Golasso Network. So make sure you tune on in to Pluto TV, Paramount Plus, CBSSports.com, wherever you prefer to watch your games. You can watch them in any of these areas. But uh, Barcelona going to host the second leg of the semifinal against Chelsea. Arsenal going to host the second leg against Wolfsburg. Barcelona carrying a very narrow one-goal aggregate over the Blues into Camp Nou for this second leg. Arsenal with a thriller. They come from behind 2-2 draw, so they're most of their level. They're basically level at aggregate going in to London. But not only that, Arsenal is going to have 50,000 people behind them, hopefully, in this semifinal. Listen, they could use it. Every little bit's going to help uh, in this semifinal for them. Yeah, massive, massive to see. That game <laughs> that, that game was insane between Wolfsburg yeah. and Arsenal. Wolfsburg goes up two goals in the first 25 minutes. It's 2-0, and then by the second half, uh, they end up getting the Arsenal ends up getting the equalizer by the 69th minute. Such an exciting game, and this, as we just talked about, this is just days after Williamson says that she's out and she can no longer be playing. But you're exactly right. They go into uh, the second leg at the Emirates Stadium. Um, over 50,000 tickets sold. Incredible. Who says no one's watching women's sports uh, because they're showing up, they're going. Uh, and you can watch this game, as Sandra mentioned, on CBS Sports Galazzo Network, the free 24-7 soccer streaming channel and network. Be sure to tune in and, and watch it because this is going to be just massive, just massive. I mean, the first leg for this for this was insane. Uh, they play again Monday, May 1st uh, in the afternoon. It's just before 1 o'clock. I believe 1245 Eastern um, is when that kicks off on Monday. But a, a lot of really fun action to happen there. And then we've also got Chelsea-Barcelona, Sandra. This game, mm-hmm. uh, Barcelona getting the 1-0 win over Chelsea in the first leg of this one. They play their second leg tomorrow. Um, afternoon again. It's on CBS Sports Galazzo Network. Should we have some fun with it? Should we make yeah. some picks? Should we have like a, a, a U, uh, Champions League final kind of wish list? Look, I'm, I'm not even going to act like I wasn't excited about this. I think once the semifinals were set, I was like, oh my goodness, like there's absolutely a path here for an all, you know, women's Super League Champions League final, except the Blues have to get through Barcelona. And I don't know. I know if that's going to happen. Barcelona is in ridiculous form. This this era, this moment of time for this franchise, for this team is we're going to look back on this and just remember how remarkable it was. I mean, even in this campaign, um, racking up wins in the league on like a 60 something, you know, game winning type of record in La Liga for them. And it just I think in that that game against Chelsea, that first leg you look at the scoreline and you're like, oh, that's this is going to be tough for Barcelona. And that that's parts of that are true. But the other parts of that for me just showed how good they are at tackling anything that is in front of them. So while yeah. maybe there was some good defensive shape for, for Chelsea during that first leg and, and moments where they were pressing Barcelona and kind of forcing them into some, some high pressure situations, uh, Barcelona's ability to just sort of play out of those things and still have the ability to find the back of the net when it matters. Um, I think in the opening says, five says minutes. Even, says even more, right? Just right. Says even more about this team. Yeah. Um, so it was the, the opening they, five minutes, Carolyn Grant Hampson, 
gets finds the back of the net for Barcelona, and then that was it. It was on lock for the rest of the game. That's what I mean. Like Chelsea. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> they're, they, and this was at Sanford Bridge. This was Barcelona away. So now they're going, you know, back to, to Camp Nou. And, and I'm sure they're going to have uh, incredible scenes, you know, behind them in terms of the environment that it will come to life on, on that second leg. But, um, you know, Emma Hayes and, and, and Chelsea, they have been, it feels like chasing the Champions League for a very long time. And, to go through Barcelona is a very tall order and it's a little bit of a do or die scenario. And do it away, right? At Camp Nou. I, I yeah. think they can do it though. Really? I'm, I'm in for right. it. I think, I think we're going to get Chelsea. Yeah. But, okay. they, but aggregate, like they're, they're down one nil at this point and now they go away. Ooh, yeah. it's going to have to be like a two, one penalty kick situation wow you want high drama in this one i'm of here for it i want the high drama yes i'm here for it i don't know if it'll be i don't i don't know if it'll be you know um if it'll go down to the, those the high drama like that i mean we, we saw chelsea yeah. go to penalties with leon and they came out on top they were able to sort of sustain that pressure okay. but uh i just i just think barcelona is such a machine at this point in their existence that they'll be you know able to go ahead and, and come out on top i think looking the other way Arsenal's a great team. And I think the fact we're talking about scenarios in which we're looking at teams coming out of this as the the victors or kind of winning the moral victories in, in some of these things. If we're looking at Gunners and and all that they've lost along the way, these prolific players, and yet they have the resiliency to get in there and get out with these results or get out with victories. They are a good team even without these key players. I think we are looking at a very special moment in time in the career of somebody like a Katie McCab. I think this is going to be a player that they continue to rely upon in the second leg. Uh, if you're looking at the national team level, Ireland will rely on her yeah. during the world cup. Just, I think there's enough here to, to, to deliver what could be considered an upset. And I think you're only going to consider that an upset because lots of folks are going to look at the roster and who they have lost along the way. But Arsenal, Wolfsburg, no strangers to these scenarios, no strangers to playing each other in these type of knockout game scenarios. I think it's going to deliver. I think if there's a game that's going to deliver even more, um, you know, another scene of, of high high drama, I think it's going to be this second leg semifinal. But I, I think maybe I we'll agree. see Barcelona and Arsenal in the championship final. I wouldn't yeah, I see that especially because um Alexia Puteas is set to make her return, potentially going to make her return, right? Potentially going to make her return um and I think that'll that'll be a game changer too if we see but it's like they're so good too. It's like similar I know, it's like we've been fine without her. I mean, I, I feel like Bonmati is playing out of her yeah. mind right now. So it's just kind of like She's going to return, and that's going to maybe be a little bit of an X factor, but I, they've been fine without her. So, yeah. it's, a, so it's, it's a lot. There's a lot on the line, a lot happening. Second leg um, for Barcelona-Chelsea tomorrow, Thursday, and then Monday is Wolfsburg-Arsenal, and then the final, June 3rd. June. Yeah, crazy. Good night, We've got all kinds of good stuff for you on CBS Sports Golasso Network. You get access to pregame, halftime shows, postgame show. They've got all kinds of analysis 
for you during the match. So make sure you tune in. I know we will be tuned in. We'll obviously talk about the results with you along the way, but that is it for us today at Attacking Third. Thank you all so much for joining us and listening to A3. Make sure you download, follow, listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. You can watch us too. Subscribe to us on YouTube to get alerts for whenever we go live at youtube.com slash attacking third. And we'll be back with more women's soccer content for you all this week. Stay tuned. For Sandra and Lisa Roman, this was Attacking Third.